Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome to Faith this morning. It's good to have each one of you here today. We are looking at the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Those are freedoms our nation was founded upon. But I will tell you those religious freedoms are under attack today like never before. I want you to take your Bibles out and turn to Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 2, the second Psalm. Last week we began by raising the standard. We said if Christ be lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. And so we're going to continue in that thought of raising the standard and what's going to happen as a result of that. So let us stand together this morning for the reading of God's word. Hope you had a wonderful July the 4th. How many ladies were at the ladies retreat? Uh, Ladies uh, conference yesterday. I heard it was a great time and all the youth coming for the moral revolution. And uh, it's good to have you back this morning in church today. All those who are watching online, we welcome you, and uh, as well this morning. Psalm 2 and verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that as we open up your word, you will open up our hearts this morning. I thank you, God, for your sweet presence that is here today. And I pray, God, as we open up the word, you'll open up our hearts to receive everything that you have for us, that we will begin to see an awakening and a revival come to this land. We know, God, there's a warfare going on, there's a battle going on today, but we thank you that you are on your throne and you're in control. And your gospel is unstoppable. And so we thank you for what you're doing in these days. And we give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great today, and then you may be seated. Why have Christians been persecuted all throughout history? I mean, there's always been every generation since the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, there has been incredible persecution against the church of the living God. Why is it politically correct in America to believe anything you want to about God, live any way you choose to, just as long as you don't believe in Jesus Christ, or the Bible, or traditional Christian values? Believe anything you want, just don't believe in traditional Christian Judeo values. Why is everyone set upset about the church? Why is everyone upset about Christians? The answer to this is simply this. At root of the problem is our sinful nature. The problem is we are at war with God and anything that reminds us of God. And so there's this warfare, this battle that is going on, and it's because of our sinful root nature that we all deal with. And so Jesus Christ reminds us, he says, don't be surprised if the world hates you, it hated me first. Christians are made in the likeness and image of God. 
Therefore, because we are made in the image of God and we bear the likeness of God, we remind the enemy of his defeat on the cross. We remind the enemy of the beatdown he took when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and said those words, it is finished, and he is cast out of the heavenly realms, and in that moment, Christ crushed the head of the serpent. And so we remind him of that defeat that Jesus Christ brought on him. And left to ourselves, we read in Psalm 2, that we want to be our own gods. We want to be free from all restraints, from moral restraints of any kind, to rid the world of a God who pronounces judgment on our sin. We don't want to hear about sin or the sin nature or judgment that is upon us. Biblical Christianity invokes a violent response from some people because only in Christianity is there absolute right and wrong. John and Edwards said, Natural men are enemies of God's dominion, and their nature shows their goodwill to dethrone him if they could. Their heart says, Let the world be empty of God, for he stands in my way. The world doesn't want to hear about rights and wrongs about truth, about biblical values. And a couple of things we need to understand about this conflict with the world that we find ourselves in is simply this. Every one of us, at some time or another, will face persecution. It comes with being a part of the church. It comes with being a part of the family of God. I want you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, look if you would at verse number 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words that I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It is going to come. The spirit of this world has always been the enemy of righteousness. A violent persecutor of the Lord's anointed. So we shouldn't be surprised when we face opposition. It's going to come. It's going to happen. Wherever you're at, they are going to come against the church. Persecution is going to come and opposition will come. And yet it says in Matthew 5.10, Jesus said, Blessed are we when we're persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Now the persecution is going to come for the sake of righteousness, but not my own self-righteousness. Because if in my own self-righteousness, I put myself above everybody else, I can expect persecution to come. Because the bottom line is every one of our, of our sinners, and we're all saved by grace, and it's only through grace that we can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not my own righteousness. But if I am persecuted for righteousness' sake, I should rejoice and be glad because I am persecuted for being identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm identified with what he has done for me. And apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, every one of us stand guilty. There's no hope. Jesus also said we would be blessed if they persecute us. That's why we need to live what we preach. That's why when I am a witness in my testimony of my life, I need to live it out every day of my life and give them no cause to accuse us unjustly. We don't draw fire as a result of being overbearing, 
being uh, belligerent, being cocky, being proud, being better than others. But if we're persecuted because we love Jesus Christ, then the Bible says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. You see, the real test of discipleship is not, are you going to be persecuted, but when people hate us and falsely accuse us, how do we return fire? How do we respond to them? How do we react when people come against us? That, my friends, is the true test of our Christianity. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. He tells us how we should respond, and I want to get this home to you today. Matthew 5 and verse number 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Now listen, anybody can love those who love you back. But when we as believers, when we as children of God love those who hate us, love those who persecute us, love those who talk about us, pray for those who despitefully use us, when we respond in that way, that, my friends, is a real test of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we love those who persecute us? How do we respond when someone comes against us? The way we're going to change the world is not through hate, it's through love. And loving those around us. And responding in kind. Jesus was patient under fire. They came against him. They hung him on a cross. And we read in Luke 23, 24. Forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. So while they're crucifying him, he's praying, forgive them. Stephen proved himself to be a true disciple. He says in Acts chapter 7, verse 60. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. See, it's easy to love those who love you back. He goes on in verse 47 of Matthew 5 to say, even the pagans do that. Everybody loves somebody who will love you in return. But the real test of our Christianity, the real test of our love for Jesus Christ is can I love somebody even in the midst of persecution? And that, my friends, is the only way we're going to begin to change this world in which we live. Supernatural love of God is evidence when you love those who hate you and persecute you and despitefully use you. It's not enough to be right. We take a stand. We try to prove we're right. We try to win our argument. We try to win our cause or justify our cause. But the love of Christ also has got to shine through through it all. And if it doesn't, everything we do is going to be in vain. There have always been those who have tried to oppose God's plan and God's purposes, who plot against the Lord and his anointed one, it said in Psalm 2, verses 1 to 3. But the history and the word of God teaches us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. And no matter what they try to do to stop the church, to persecute the church, to stamp out the church, to legislate against the church, to pass laws that prohibit the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ will always be unstoppable. In fact, we learn from the word of God and we learn from history, persecution only spreads the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the more they try to stamp it out, the more the church of the living God flourishes and spreads. 
Look at how the Lord responds in Psalm 2 when he says, let me read that again to you in verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? And the kings of the earth take their stand against, uh, uh, and the rulers together against the Lord. And then he jumps down in verse 4. The Lord enthrones in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and he terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And then he challenges us, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. God laughs at any attempts of the world to suppress the gospel of Jesus Christ because we have an unstoppable God, an unstoppable gospel. It cannot be stamped out. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be quieted in any way, shape, or form. He's laughing because the spread of the gospel cannot be stopped. It will reach into every single nation. He said this gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth. Pharisees and Sadducees, they conspired against God. They came against the Lord. They attacked him. They, uh, they tried to stop the spread of the gospel. They began by crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And they thought, there, that's going to stop it. We're going to stop this revolution. We're going to stop Jesus Christ. We're going to stop his followers. And so they crucify him on the cross. Peter and John, under the power of the Holy Spirit, only begin to step up their witness and testimony. So they capture them. They beat them and tell them not to talk anymore about the Lord Jesus Christ. And their response is, we can't stop but talking about what we've seen and heard and about the grace of God. And it just continued to spread in the early church. They had James beheaded, first leader of the early church. They sent Saul to Damascus to, with Orders in his hand to imprison the church, to beat believers, to have them thrown in jail, and if necessary, kill them by force. The gospel only spread. And then the apostle Paul found the Lord Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. His whole life is turned around. He becomes a great missionary evangelist. And so everywhere he would go, they would dispatch Judaizers, men who would debate with the apostle Paul, who would stir up the city, who would create riots. And so Paul finds himself in prison. He is going to be flogged. He's going to be shipwrecked. He's going to be beaten. He's going to go through all kinds of hassle. But they could not stop the spread of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The persecution only served to spread the gospel. I want to tell you, it's going to get worse in America before it gets better. But I believe when the enemy turns up the heat against us in America today, it will only further spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because people will find there's no answer in America today but through God. So it will only fuel the flame of the gospel of Christ. Despite problems and divisions in the Jerusalem church, there was the death of Ananias and Sapphira. They stoned Stephen to death. There were imprisonments. There were shipwrecks. There were riots and every kind of opposition. They could not stop the spread of the gospel. I received an urgent prayer request this week for Russia. I just want to read part of it to you. On June 24th, the upper and lower houses of the Russian parliament voted to pass legislation against terrorism and extremism. An amendment in this package was passed that would prohibit freedom of religion in a matter that is being considered the most 
restrictive measure in post-Soviet history. All personal evangelism on the streets and individual homes is going to be restricted. Evangelizing outside registered churches could result in fines. When Christians meet in homes, no unbelievers are supposed to be present or allowed to be present. Right now, the law awaits President Putin's approval. If signed, the law will go in effect as early as July 20th, 2016. He says, it goes on to say, please pray for President Putin to veto this law. If it goes through, however, listen to this. We know gospel advancement will not cease. If the president signs this law, pray the Holy Spirit will give wisdom to believers concerning how to continue evangelizing in spite of the opposition. Finally, pray that the church in Russia continues to passionately proclaim Jesus Christ no matter what happens. No government can defeat his kingdom. Hallelujah. We need to pray for our believers in Russia. The persecution is about to intensify. But as at the end of it said, no, no one can stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is an unstoppable God, and it's an unstoppable gospel. For over 50 years, the church in China endured terrific persecution. There was a revolution, a rebellion. All the believers were kicked out of the country. Missionaries had to flee the country for their lives and for their safety. And persecution intensified. But in the provinces where Christians suffered the most during the Cultural Revolution, these are the provinces that are recording the most converts coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest harvest of souls is occurring where the persecution was the very heaviest. The more the devil tries to stamp out the church, he is only shooting himself in the foot because it is only spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nations and organizations and individuals, the Bible says, continue to plot against the Lord. And maybe you have been facing that in your own workplace, in your schools, wherever you might find yourself. Some individuals rise up and they begin to hiss like a serpent and they they spew out their venom and they are attacking the church and the children of God. And if you mention Jesus Christ, you will face their rebuke. What should our response be? Well, first of all, when you are persecuted, you love them and you bless those who persecute you. But the Bible also says, rejoice and be glad. Because if they persecuted Christ, they will persecute you. And remember the word of God, and we shared this last week, I'll share it again this week. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the only hope for America. And so regardless of the opposition, uh, we need to raise up and lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim it loudly. And he says, I will draw all men unto myself. And so we rejoice and we pray for them because actually the Bible says God is in heaven laughing, sitting on his throne at any attempt to stop this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about three Hebrew children. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there was a maniacal king over the land of Babylon. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was an egomaniac. 
He had promoted some of his very best and brightest of the slaves that had been taken into captivity from Jerusalem into Babylon, and he had elevated them and put them over provinces in the land because of their abilities. But you get, a, you get along in the Word of God about chapter 3, and he says, I'm going to erect a huge statue. The Bible tells us the statue of Nebuchadnezzar of his own image was 90 feet tall. And he said, when the music sounds, I want everybody in the land to bow down. We're going to bow down to my image, and we're going to give homage to my image, and we're going to worship me. And so he says, and if you don't do that, there'll be severe consequences. And so when the whole nation begins to bow down and the music strikes up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are standing. They will not bow down. They stand out like sore thumbs. Everybody in the audience can see them, and they're all looking at these three Hebrew children who refuse to bow down to the gods of that world. Even when they are threatened with a fiery furnace, he tells them, if you don't bow down right now, you're going in the fire. They refused to bow down. Instead, they stood firm on their convictions, uh, and they let the chips fall where they might. These guys were unbelievable heroes of faith. Now, you know people like Nebuchadnezzar who are full of pride, who it's all about them, who the world revolves around them. When they didn't bow down, it says in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, he threatened them with more. But they could not be intimidated. They would not bow down. And every time he threatens them further, he gets madder and madder when they refuse to bow down to him. You get to verse number 19. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude changed. And the Bible says he ordered the furnace heated up seven times hotter. Now, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't very bright. Because if you're going to heat it up seven times hotter, death will come a whole lot more quickly. So you're not going to torture them anymore by heating up the fire hotter. You're only going to make death come more rapidly. And so instead of inflicting greater pain, they're going to die almost immediately as soon as they hit that fire or get near to that fire. In fact, some of his soldiers died as they got close to the fire. It was so hot at that time. He's not a very bright man. And see, when people get mad and when people get angry, they lose their senses. They don't think clearly. Their brain's not working at full capacity. All the blood's not rushing to the head. It's rushing to their emotions. They don't think clearly, and this is exactly where he's at. He loses his temper. He gets mad, loses his cool. He says, crank up the heat, make it seven times hotter, because ultimately they would have died in either case. One death would have been slower and one death more rapid. But God was laughing, the Bible says, in heaven in Psalm chapter 2. The attempt of the king and the nation to silence his children, he laughs. And the Bible says that when they're thrown in the fiery furnace, when they looked at that furnace, they saw a fourth person in the fire. And then it said, he looks like the son of God. And what was God doing when he comes down and he's with them in the fiery furnace? He is laughing with them and they are laughing with him at all the attempts to stop God's power and God's rule and reign. They laughed together. 
No one likes being criticized or hated or ridiculed. I don't think we look forward to that. I don't think we like persecution when it comes. I don't think we like it when people talk about us, when they say what they're going to say. I don't think we like it when they get offensive on television and take jabs at Christians and Christianity. Uh, We don't like it when laws are changed. We don't like it when those things happen. We try to avoid pain. That's part of our human nature. We don't want to suffer. But you can't always control what other people do. And they will do what they want to do because they are at war with God. It goes all the way back to the very beginning. It goes all the way back to the cross. And so they can't get at Jesus Christ, so they attack his seed, they attack his offspring, and you will come under attack. Jesus said it would happen. Don't be surprised when it does happen. Don't be surprised. It's going to happen. It's going to take place. But what do we do to keep from being manipulated? What do we do to keep from bowing down or being intimidated by the opinions of others? I'm going to give you three practical takeaways, and you can jot these down. Number one, be your own person. Do what's right. Believe what is true. It doesn't matter what everybody else says or does around you. You hold to the truth of God's word. Don't be fickle and go back and forth and live one way in one place and another in another place. Do the right thing. Be your own person. Number two, be more concerned about what God thinks than what others think. We are so influenced by the the opinions of others around us. We watch our Facebook and we watch the social media and we wonder what people are thinking and we wonder what they're saying and we wonder what they're doing. Are we as concerned about what God thinks about what we're doing? Be more concerned about God's opinion. Don't be a people pleaser. It matters more that you do the right thing than you do what is popular. Those who waffle under the opinions and pressures of others usually wind up hating themselves because they flip-flop so much. Your own integrity is your greatest possession. Don't let anyone steal it away from you. Be more concerned about what God thinks. And number three, stand your ground. Don't bow down. Stand up. Don't bow down. No matter how much the enemy tries to turn up the heat, don't bow down. Stand your ground. Some people are intent on denying Christians their freedoms, our freedom of speech, our liberties that have been guaranteed to us in the Constitution. Know your rights as a child of God. Know your rights as a citizen of America. Understand and know the freedoms that we have and hold to those and don't bow down and don't back off. Those three things will help you. Now here's what's happening today in America. Just like Nebuchadnezzar tried to turn up the heat seven times, I believe the heat in America is being turned up. And it's going to get hotter before it gets better. And he's turning up the heat. But the Bible says that God laughs at their attempts to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to get hotter in America, but the Lord is laughing. And the good news is, even when you are in the middle of persecution and there are those who come against you, Jesus Christ has promised he will be with us. He'll come down with us in the fiery furnace. Uh, He will be with us. He'll see us through. 
says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. And as you stand for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, while the enemy tries to turn up the heat in his persecution, I believe it's only going to fuel the fires of revival, and I still believe there's going to be a great awakening take place, and revival is going to come to America. He only shoots himself in the foot. I want to read some headlines to you, and then we're going to pray together. June 12th, shooting in Orlando, 49 people shot and killed in a nightclub. Shooter pledged ISIS allegiance. Persecution's coming. Now listen to me. There is a rise of terrorism in America. It's happening more and more and more all around us wherever we see it happen. Tuesday, July the 5th, this last week. Outreach after video captures white Baton Rouge officer fatally shooting a black man. I've preached many times on unity in this church and against racism and standing together as a country and as a nation. And you have a situation where it was captured on video and the whole world is seen and the world has been enraged and America has been enraged. It set off protests all across our land. The very next day, July the 6th, fatal shooting in a Minnesota sparks protest across the country and a man is shot in the chest in his own car as he reached for his own wallet. And then in retaliation on Thursday, and it wasn't by everybody, just a few crazed people, but Dallas police ambushed 12 officers shot, five killed during the protest in Dallas on Thursday, July 7th. I want to tell you, we need to pray for our land. We need to pray for America. We watch the news and we see what the enemy is trying to do and how trying to destroy this land and the nation in which we live. And behind every one of these attacks is satanic. It's a spiritual warfare. It goes much different than just a surface rage. There's a deep sense of, a, of, a, of an anger and a division in our land today. Elections are coming up. You're going to hear all kinds of political rhetoric. It's going to further divide our country and further divide our nation. It's, it's, a, it's a, like the wild, wild west out there today. I saw Chicago just since, since uh, the first of the year, 370-something homicides in the last six months in Chicago, more than the total of L.A. and New York combined. Our streets are like wild, wild west. We need to pray for America. We need to pray for our land. We need to love those who persecute us. We need to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ and stand for the truth. And and when Satan tries to turn up the heat and he says, I'm going to make it hotter, I'm going to make it hotter, I'm going to make it hotter, it's then that the Christians will shine the very brightest and this gospel will go out in great power and authority. Jesus Christ is the only answer for the problems in America. I want us to stand together right now. We're going to pray. I want you to take the hand of someone next to you. I want us to begin by praying for America right now. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Over these next several weeks, I'm going to talk about how we pray for America. If we're going to see revival come, it's only going to come as believers pray and seek the face of God. And we'll be talking about that. And we'll keep going in our series on life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. But we need to pray that God heals our land. It's a mess. It's a mess out there. Jesus Christ is the only answer, for he can change the hearts of men and women one by one by one and 
then our country, or become, our family's first change, and then our nation begins to change, and this land changes, and we can come together and be one like God has called us to be. So let's join me right now as we pray for our land, pray for this land in which we live. Father, right now, we come to you. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.